as we dive into week two of In the Meantime, I just have to share, I've, I've received more feedback um, on this last week's message in this series than I uh, was expecting, especially given the, uh, the lack of a, an in-person audience and, and often hearing things after a service and that type of thing. Um, but throughout the week, people uh, reached out to share how meaningful that message was and how meaningful this service uh, or this series is. So if you missed last week, I really want to encourage you uh, to either go into the video section of our Facebook page and find that and watch that, or you can go to our website, linwoodchurch.org, and uh, click on the media tab, and you can find the audio of that message there. And I want to encourage everyone with this idea that we're all in this meantime together. Other times that I have preached this series, and I preached it one other time, um, and I, when I heard it the first time uh, coming from Andy Stanley, I was in the meantime, and when I preached it, there were some in my congregation that were in the meantime. Others were maybe just coming out of the meantime or on their way into a meantime experience. And this time through is unique in that we are all in this together. And so uh, if you're not familiar with the concept of the meantime, it's, it's really when you find yourself in a situation where all you can say is, it is what it is, and that's just the way it is. And you're trying to answer that question, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when all of your options seem less than ideal? And you have to make decisions, but you're not quite sure what to choose. And so Historically or traditionally, meantime moments might be something in your marriage where you're just kind of hitting a wall relationally, or there's a difficulty that's presented itself in your marriage, and you're not quite sure how to navigate that. Or maybe another relationship is just sort of stuck in the mud, whether that's with children or with other family members or a friendship uh, that has hit a rocky patch, and you're not quite sure what to do or what you can do. Or maybe it's something to do with your career and, and you've hit a lid or your career suddenly changed and you didn't choose that change. Um, or maybe it's financial and you've hit a mean time financially either through decisions that you made or circumstances that were beyond your control. It could have something to do with your health that would put you into the meantime. And I think we can all identify with that. In fact, some of you might be saying, you know what, Pastor Mark, I can check three or four of those boxes right now. In fact, I was in the meantime before the coronavirus pandemic hit, and now I'm like in a layered meantime experience. And if that's the case, I just want to encourage you that we're in this one together and that we can all look to our Heavenly Father and draw strength and encouragement from Him and from His Word. So last week when we kicked this off, we uh, looked at a story with Jesus and John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist, uh, being one that Jesus had said was, there was no one greater born of a woman than John the Baptist. And yet he finds himself in a meantime experience, and he has to navigate that experience as well as he can. And what we wanted to remember from last week, a couple of things. First, that God's silence does not equal his absence, that we shouldn't confuse the two or mistake the two or come to the conclusion that just because we don't hear from God, it means that he's not there. 
And we talked about some doubts and that John the Baptist, even as great a person as he was and as much personal context as he had for believing that Jesus was in fact the the Christ. In fact, John the Baptist declares that, might even be the first person to really fully recognize that in Jesus's earthly ministry. He has doubts and we have doubts in the meantime. And there are lies that we can tell ourselves in the meantime that lead us astray. Lies like, I will never be happy again, or nothing good can come from this. And if we believe those lies and we listen to those lies long enough, we might come to the conclusion that there's really no point in going on. I should just check out and wait for the storm to pass. Instead, we talked last week about telling ourselves truths in the meantime. And I saw people sharing this on social media, this slide that says, I will be happy again. And we remind ourselves of that truth. And we can look at other seasons where God has been faithful in our lives and gotten us through difficult times. And we know that he will in this case as well. We can tell ourselves the truth that something good can happen from this. Something good will happen from this. And we can tell ourselves the truth that there is purpose for our pain. There's purpose for our pain, that God doesn't waste pain. And our bottom line last week was that God is not absent, apathetic, or angry in the meantime. He's not absent. He's not far off. He's not unaware of the situation that we find ourselves in. He's not apathetic. He's not uncaring. He's personally invested in us as his children in the meantime. And he is not angry. And we looked at the cross of Christ and how it proves definitively that God is not angry with us in the meantime because he poured out all of his anger, all of his wrath on Christ on the cross, which we just celebrated at Easter. And so if you are in Christ, you can rest assured God is not angry with you in the meantime. And so today we're going to look at that third truth that we remind ourselves that there is purpose for this pain, and we're going to expand upon that, and we're going to look at the purpose and the promise that comes to us in the meantime. And I want to remind you that God's seeming lack of cooperation in the meantime does not equate to a lack of love or a lack of goodness on his part. And I think we struggle with this a little bit more in the West, in the Western worldview. And that's really United States, Europe, and those types of of cultures where we have this idea that things really ought to work out. That if we work hard, if we do our part, then the world should meet us halfway and things really should work out. And we don't see that necessarily uh, taking place in other parts of the world. That I've traveled to very impoverished parts of the world in Nicaragua and Peru and China, and there's an expectation of suffering and difficulty in those places that we don't share necessarily. And so in this Western way of thinking, we believe that things should work out the right way, and we define what that right way is. And this is compounded by social media, especially in a time like this, where we see everyone else's highlight reel, and we compare their highlight reel with our real-life experience and feel like it's working out for everybody else. Why isn't it working out for me? But interestingly enough, when we look at the New Testament and, and we look at those people who took Christ to the world, when we read the Gospels and we read the book of Acts and we read the letters of Paul and John and Peter in the New Testament, we find that those people, those men and women who took Christ to the world expected adversity. 
They took Christ seriously when he said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And perhaps the best example of this is the Apostle Paul, who came to faith after the resurrection, after Christ's earthly ministry. He doesn't show up by name in any of the Gospels, but I would believe that the picture of Paul that we see early in Acts would resonate very much with the scribes and the Pharisees that we see as opponents of Christ and as those who are trying to bring him down. And early in the the book of Acts, we see that he is a Christian hater, and yet he becomes a Christian maker as he has a radical encounter with Christ and comes to faith in Christ. He goes from rounding up Christians and throwing them in prison and giving approval to their death to planting churches and going on missionary journeys and writing almost half of the New Testament so that his churches and us by extension would understand the Christian faith and understand how to live practically in that. And just as he got everything sort of ironed out and worked out with God, it seems that something happened and he found himself in a meantime experience. And we don't know all the specifics, but we know that he had a physical malady and that it was not going away. And it was hindering the work that God had called him to do. And so that's where we pick up the story in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to pull that out and to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and to read this along with me in your translation. We call this book 2 Corinthians because it's the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And it was a deeply personal letter. He had a strong tie to this church in Corinth. And he had spent almost 18 years... I'm sorry, 18 months, almost 18 months in Corinth. And he writes these letters because he starts to receive reports and hear about issues that are taking place. And he has to challenge them to come back to the solid faith that he presented and that that took root there. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes these words. And it's a passage that may be familiar to you, but we're going to look at it in the context of God's word to us in the meantime. And so in verse 7, Paul begins, and he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, that's a lot. That's a big verse, and there's a lot going on in that verse. So I want to pick it apart, and we're going to look at each verse individually and see how they advance this uh, understanding of Paul in his meantime moment. But that first word, too, is this little word uh, in the Greek language, dio, D-I-O, and it really means in order to. It's, it's a purpose statement. And so some more literal translations of the Bible in the New Testament will say, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. And that that identifies this as a purpose statement that's taking place here when Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited. And he references these surpassingly great revelations. Well, in the verse 1 through 6 of chapter 12, he talks about a revelation or a vision that he had. And his way of interpreting this thorn in the flesh is that it was given that he would not become conceited. But it's interesting, the way that he phrases that, he says that a thorn was given me. 
there was given me a thorn in my flesh. Now that's passive voice. If you remember eighth grade English class when they went through verb tenses and your, your English teacher probably told you, don't use the passive voice. It's not the appropriate way to explain what happened to you individually. But I believe Paul chooses this very intentionally because he's not quite sure where this thorn came from, but it was given to him. And that word given was a, a positive phrase. It wasn't like it happened accidentally. It was intentional and it was positive, much like a gift or something that you would bestow on another person. And so Paul didn't use the wrong word. He, as we'll see later in this passage, actually viewed this thorn in the flesh as a gift. And that might be hard to believe. And we could look at that in our current circumstances and and say, is is there some way that, that coronavirus could be a gift? And I want to challenge you to write out two or three ways at the end of this message that you can see how the last four to six weeks could actually be a gift. What are the positives? What are the silver linings? What are some of the purposes that God could help you identify for this? And he speaks about a thorn, and a thorn would be a sharp affliction. It's a word picture. It's, it's a sharp affliction. It's something that's tormenting him, which means it's recurring. It's beating him up continually. It's not a one-time slap in the face or something like that. It's an ongoing, tormenting, sharp affliction that he's dealing with. It's so much, though, that he even calls it a messenger of Satan. And I believe this is figurative language here. And just in case you think I I have a typo, I never capitalize Satan. I always capitalize pronouns for God and I never capitalize Satan because I just don't think he's worthy of the honor of a proper noun. I think he is more what he is than who he is. That Satan refers to everything that opposes God. And when we look at that in the biblical sense, Satan is not just the person, but Satan is the idea of that which is against God. And so Paul is saying here that this messenger of Satan, he's speaking to a spiritual warfare. And sometimes the negative circumstances in our lives take on a spiritual dimension as we start to apply them to our relationship with God, or they come in the way of our relationship with God or God's purpose for us. And so Paul picks up on all of this, and and that's important that we understand What we don't know is exactly what the issue was. Now, Bible commentary writers and Bible scholars have suggested that it might have been epilepsy or something like that, where he would have seizures that would prevent his earthly ministry from being as impactful as he would like. Some have speculated it might have been headaches, you know, debilitating headaches that that would take him out of commission for days at a time. Maybe it was an eye condition. There are other references in his letters uh, to issues with his eyes and the ability uh, to see, or maybe there was a painful eye issue, or it could have been something as similar, uh, as simple as malaria or another uh, easily transmittable disease that he would pick up multiple times and have issues with. What we do know is that it was painful, it was humiliating, and it was debilitating, and it was one more thing that we'll see a little bit later on. And in a way, I'm kind of glad that we don't know specifically what it is, because that means that we can apply these principles broadly. And if we knew specifically what it was, we might be tempted to apply it only to that issue. But he continues in verse 8, and he tells us, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, to take this thorn in the flesh away from me. Three times. And I don't think he's saying, okay, so one day I sat down and I said, please, Lord, take it away. 
three times. I think he's speaking about seasons of life or, or seasons where this was a, a real issue in his ministry or in his life. That three seasons of life he pleaded with God to take this away. And yet, it wasn't taken away. It wasn't taken away the first time. It wasn't taken away the second time. It wasn't taken away the third time. And I want to pause right here because sometimes as a pastor, I have heard people say, well, if you just had more faith, or people will come to me and they'll say, I'm praying for this, Pastor Mark, and if I just had more faith, then it would happen. Like we could power up and gear up and get enough faith to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. And I can't think of a single person in Scripture that had more faith than Paul. And yet he pleads with God three times for this thorn in the flesh to be taken away. And three times the answer is no. In fact, he tells us in verse 9 that God spoke to him. And I can tell you in my meantime experience, as I would give anything to hear directly from God, the way that Paul relates this, and yet the words that Paul hears from God are not at all what he wanted to hear. In fact, silence might have been better if you look at them just for face value. But verse 9 says that he said to me, God said to me, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And I don't know what uh, your Bible looks like, but in my Bible, those are red letters, indicating that this is a conversation that Paul has directly with Jesus, directly with the, the, the person of Christ. And he hears from him, not, okay, Paul, you've pleaded with me three times, now I'll answer your prayer. And he doesn't hear, Paul, you need more faith. If you have more faith, then I'll do what you, want you, what you want me to do. He hears that his grace, God's grace, will be sufficient and his power will be made perfect in weakness. And I believe grace and power can be interchanged in that promise from God that power, the power of God is sufficient and the grace of God is made perfect in our weaknesses, in our difficulties, in our trials. We find that God's power is sufficient and his grace is made perfect. Just as much as his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. It's as if God is saying, my power is strongest when you are weakest. So the answer is no, I'm not going to take it away. Three times it's no. And so what was painful and humiliating and debilitating also becomes permanent as far as Paul would know. The answer is no. But I love you, Paul. (laughs) And I'm going to bless you, Paul. And I'm going to empower you to do amazing things. But I'm not going to take the thorn away. And you're not going to believe this right now, Paul, but people are going to name their children after you. And everybody is going to know somebody named Paul one day. And people will name their dogs Nero and Caesar and Augustus, but they're going to name their children, they're going to name their sons Paul, even though I'm not taking away this thorn in the flesh. The answer is no, but it's a no with a purpose, and it's a no with a promise. And the promise is my grace is sufficient. The answer to the prayer is not what you need most. It's my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. And so we can see that God's power and grace can be perfected 
in the meantime. The meantime moments of our lives can be fertile soil for God's grace and God's power to become real to us in new ways, in very, very important ways. And so what Paul writes next in the second half of verse 9 and all of verse 10 tells us a lot about how we can get through the meantime. It's one of those phrases that evidences divine inspiration. You see, a lot of people uh, think that the Bible was just written by men, that it's a collection of fairy tales and nice stories, or as my English teacher in college said, it's just a mythology. It's a way for people to explain their origins and explain the things that don't make sense to them. It's just literature. It's just fiction. And yet what Paul says next is not human. It's absolutely inspired. In the second half of verse 9, Paul concludes, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul comes to the conclusion that since this won't go away, since I've pleaded for it to go away and it hasn't gone away, instead the answer has come that his grace will be sufficient. Since this isn't going away, I'm going to boast about it. I'm going to glory in it. I'm going to embrace it and roll around in it. And he just finished boasting about his suffering in the second half of chapter 11. So he knew about suffering. He had experienced a lot. I would encourage you to go back and read second uh, half of chapter 11 and realize all that this guy had come through. What must this thorn in the flesh have been like to compare with all of that? But Paul comes to the conclusion that he's not going to keep it a secret. He's not going to suffer in silence. He's going to boast about his weakness and his inability in, because it brings glory to God. And he's not throwing himself a pity party. There's a powerful so that in the second half of verse 9. So that Christ's power may rest on him. So that Christ's power may be seen in him and seen through him. And that leads us, Paul's response leads us to our bottom line today, that trusting God in the meantime can turn your breakdown into a breakthrough. That Paul must have been on the verge of a breakdown as he experienced this, as he pleaded for God to take it away, and as the answer came back repeatedly, no, Paul, I'm not taking it away. He chose to trust God in the meantime, and that turned his breakdown into a breakthrough. He chose to trust in God's goodness in the meantime, and it turned his breakdown into a breakthrough. And he continues in verse 10. He says, For Christ's sake... That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's for Christ's sake, not his own. It's not about self-help as much as it is about Christ's glory and fame. And so Paul recognizes that this thorn in the flesh, though it's not something he ever would have asked for, and though he does not believe it came directly from God as a punishment, he chooses to receive it as a good gift from his loving heavenly Father. And not just any gift, a gift with a purpose and a promise. And so I want to challenge you, if you believe that God can change your circumstances, but for whatever reason he has chosen not to, then you have the option to receive those circumstances 
those adversities, those challenges as a gift with a purpose and a promise, as a gift that teaches you to more fully rely upon God and not on yourself. The purpose may not be known for some time, but the promise is sure that his grace is sufficient. And you can embrace your inability, your adversity, your suffering, your weakness as a means to experience greater amounts of Christ's ability and strength and power in the meantime. I felt like my heart was going to explode when we were singing that song, Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. And we get to the bridge, and it says, I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against, that we can choose that even in the meantime. And you might want to get that song and get it on your phone or get it on your computer and put it on repeat for those moments when you are pleading for God to to deliver you from the meantime. And the answer is no. That we can choose like Paul did, to trust God in the meantime and watch him turn that breakdown into a breakthrough. Where we say, not my will, but thy will be done. Where we identify with Christ. And, and just in our last series, we talked about him as the suffering servant. And this idea that surrendered suffering turns our mess into a message. That God can turn this mess into a message for us, just as he did for Paul with his thorn in the flesh. And on the other side of it, we'll look back and we'll say, you know, I never would choose that. But I can see what it's accomplished in my relationship with God. Or I can see how the restoration of that meantime moment makes it something I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. And realistically, we can all choose. We can simply go through the meantime, or we can grow through the meantime. We can grit our teeth and roll up our sleeves and just patiently endure it, and maybe that's success. Or we can choose to grow, to grow stronger spiritual muscles, to grow a stronger faith, to grow a deeper reliance upon God in the meantime. I have found that meantime moments are not optional. They happen for everybody. They are inevitable. But growth is optional. That's something we can choose and we can lean into and ask God to grow us and strengthen us in ways that we never could have without the storm. And so I want to encourage you today to think of at least two or three things that had come from this most recent experience and to choose to grow through this circumstance, through this difficulty, through this season of loss or of pain to grow deeper in our relationship with God, and to turn our breakdown into a breakthrough. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your meantime moments. Even though we wouldn't ask for them or choose them, we know that we have the opportunity to receive them as a gift from our loving Heavenly Father. And so we pray that Paul and his response would encourage us and inspire us to respond in kind and that we can turn through the power of your spirit, through your grace, which is sufficient, we can turn what might be a breakdown into a breakthrough. Help us, O oh God. Lead us. 
encourage us and strengthen us through the power of your spirit that we would know and trust and choose to grow through the meantime. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.